Thank you for downloading the One Church Gloucester podcast. This message was recorded live at one of our services. To find out more about life at One Church, visit us online at thisisonechurch.com. Um, we are in part three of our series, Me, Myself, and I Am. And the big idea of this series is that your identity is not just found in you. It's not just wrapped up in you, but when we become a Christian, we get a whole new identity that is found in Christ. No longer is life just us by ourselves struggling through in our own strength, but life is about doing it with the great I am, me, myself, and I am. And in the first week, John talked about how when we are clothed with Christ, our entire identity changes it affects everything about our identity and then last week Nath talked about going home and he talked about how you need to go home back to the new life that God has created for you no longer living in your old life but putting on clothing yourself in Christ to live like him love like him look like him work like him so there's been this theme of being clothed in Christ clothed in his identity and we've been looking at three passages so far of Paul in the Bible who talks about being clothed in this identity of Christ. And we're going to continue that thought this morning. And the thought that I want to share is around a tool that is powerful in shaping our identity. And that is eternity. A tool that is powerful in shaping our identity. And if you are a Christian here, or whether this is your first time in church, you will most probably have heard the verse, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we believe that God was so, so passionate about you that he sent his son to die for you and bridge the gap between death and life so that you could have eternal, everlasting life with him forever. And that is good news, right? Yes, indeed it is. And um, there's a verse in the Bible that, again, that Paul talks about being closed in Christ that talks a little bit, describes how this will happen, how this eternal life will come into being. And it says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. And this is going to be our key passage for today. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us life victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. And the reason that I want to talk about eternity in this series about identity is because your view of eternity will shape your identity. How you view eternity will shape your identity. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of going back to my old senior school for a discussion debate. And if you listen to John's message, you will know that uh, I did not nominate myself to do this. I was nominated by these two. Uh, And when I'd finally come around to the idea, I knew it was a privilege. So I can say that now. Um, But it was a really, really great conversation. And so went back to my school and um, on the panel was there was an imam. Uh, humanist and then me and we were asked all sorts of questions about faith and um, the year 10s then got to ask questions themselves and most of the questions were directed towards a perspective of theism and we were asked questions like when people pray is it just a psychological effect Uh, if everything has a cause where does God come from Um, and um, then it came to the last question And a year 10 puts her hand up and says, uh, I'd like to ask this question to the humanist, to get a humanist perspective on this question. And she said, I'm not religious in any way, but I believe in life after death because I think that science points towards it. Uh, What do you think? And so then our uh, humanist friend starts to respond. And the thing is, the humanist worldview is that uh, there is no life after death. This is it. What you see right now is what you get. That there is nothing beyond this. There's no meaning or grand purpose to life. That we just exist and then we don't exist. And so um, her response was like, well, uh, I'd have to ask you, what, what evidence do you think there is for, for life after death? And this year 10 just launches into this amazing, articulate answer about how uh, our bodies are made up of matter and energy, chemical and electrical energy. And because according to thermodynamics, that energy cannot be destroyed, then the energy that makes us who we are has to go somewhere. So there has to be something beyond the physical that we can see. That energy has got to go somewhere, surely. So there has to be something more beyond what we see right now. And the room was silent. And suddenly everybody burst into a round of applause because this girl just answered so articulately. Uh, And our humanist friend was stumped. Stumped. And so uh, in an attempt to try and answer, she was like, well, um, how how, how many of you would think the same? How many of you would kind of have a similar belief? And about two thirds of the room put their hands up to say that I believe that there is something beyond this life. I believe that there's more to life than what we see right now. And then what was really cool for me was to be able to say, well, from a Christian perspective, I believe that's called our soul. And our soul is the essence of who we are, the thing that will live eternally. And um, it was really interesting just to hear different perspectives on life after death and to see that in that room, the majority of people believed that there was something. They didn't know what, couldn't really articulate it, but they believed that there was something beyond this life that we see right now. And within your spheres of influence, you will encounter all sorts of views, I'm sure. Because throughout history, people have been trying to answer this question. 
the big questions of life. Why are we here? What is the meaning of life? Is there life after death? And the thing is, people have been trying to answer those questions without reference to God. Thinking that they'll throw off the restraints of religion and they'll find freedom and truth in the answers. But actually, the answers they come back with are actually really depressing. Uh... And there's um, a British philosopher um, who said this. His name's Bertrand Russell, and he's an atheist. And he said this. If our life is just an accident and uh, this is all there is, then we must build our lives on the firm foundation of unyielding despair. If this is all there is, our only option, our only comfort, is to build our lives on unyielding despair. Because there is, if there is no God, ultimately life has no purpose, no meaning. We're just here by accident, collection of atoms that will one day disappear. The universe itself will cease to be in existence. So ultimately what we do is insignificant in the grand scheme of things. So there is no real purpose, no real meaning. And ultimately life is just moving from oblivion into oblivion. And that is this worldview without life after death. There is no hope of eternity. Life leads only to the grave. And I think for most people, even if you're not a Christian, whatever you believe about life after death, that's actually really tough to come to terms with, to accept that life has no ultimate meaning, no ultimate purpose. And so what we try and do is we try and create meaning in our lives. If there's no ultimate meaning, then we'll try and create meaning in our family or our career or our salary or our education. We try and find our identity in those things, to ground our identity in the things that we can see right now, to give us some kind of meaning, to give us some kind of perspective of purpose. And that view of our eternity starts to shape how we see life. It starts to shape how we deal with situations. It starts to shape how we see success, how we see ourselves in the light of eternity. Because if there's nothing beyond this, I might as well live for myself. I might as well do what feels good. I might as well do what uh, the best that I can to earn as much as I can, to have a good house, have a good family, do what I can to live a, a happy life. Because if this is all there is, then great me, myself, and I. And life without eternity is the quickest way to me, myself, and I. Because without eternity, then self is paramount and success is just material. It's just what we see. Success is measured in what we can get, what we can accumulate, what is tangible right now without eternity. But... If there is such a thing as a God who created and caused the universe into being, if there is such a thing as life after death, then it changes everything. Because it means that there is a God who created you with purpose. A God who called you before you were born, who knit you together in your mother's womb. And your life does not end at the grave, but there is something beyond. And as Christians, we believe that the God of the Bible created heaven and earth and created you so that you could be in relationship with him forever. Your life has eternal significance, eternal meaning, eternal purpose that goes far beyond what we can see right now into life after this 
And we believe that he is preparing that place for us right now. That right now he is preparing that eternal home for us. This place where he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Where there will be no crying, no weeping, no pain, no mourning. This place of heaven. And that is this amazing, amazing hope that we have as Christians. This hope of life after death. This hope of eternity. This hope of heaven. Um, when I was growing up, I had a picture of heaven that probably a lot of us have had um, at one point. My picture of heaven was um, soft pastel shades, fluffy white clouds, and chubby babies playing harps. Anyone else have a, ever have a similar view of what heaven looked like? Um, and growing up, I thought that heaven would look like that, and it would be boring. Because I figured we'd get to heaven, we'd suddenly be downloaded with all knowledge, all understanding, all revelation, and we'd just be doing the same thing every day for eternity, mainly wearing soft pastel shades on fluffy clouds next to chubby babies playing harps. But that is the furthest from eternity, the furthest from reality that you can get because we don't claim to know everything and know exactly how it's going to look, but the Bible points us in the right direction. It gives us glimpses of what this place is going to look like. And one verse in particular that I want to share with you is this. In Ephesians 2, verse 7, it says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, immeasurable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And the reason this verse is exciting is because it shows me that we won't suddenly be downloaded with all knowledge, all understanding, all revelation, because the grace and kindness of God is incomparable. It's immeasurable. And what this shows me is that heaven is going to be this constant growing revelation of who God is. This constant growing revelation of his grace. This grace that is endlessly deep. This grace that is endlessly good. This grace that is endlessly powerful. This grace that is endlessly new, endlessly fresh. And we will be constantly amazed with God. From one moment to the next, we will be filled with more joy as we realize his goodness, as we realize his grace. And then that moment will be superseded by the next moment. As again, we understand a little bit more of who he is, a little bit more of this immeasurable grace. And year after year after year after year, these moments will be building to new heights of understanding and knowledge and um, experience of who God is. And at the height of our knowledge, it will only then be superseded by an eternity of more knowledge, more understanding more experience of his goodness and his grace and the riches of his kindness towards us so heaven is going to be this constant movement constant change constant awareness of the immeasurable incomparable limitless grace of God and his kindness towards us so we will never tire of his love we will never be bored of who he is. We'll never run out of things to worship him and praise him for. Because moment by moment, there'll be fresh joy, fresh hope, fresh perspective because of who he is. And that is the hope that we have as Christians. 
And that's what Paul was encouraging the Corinthians about in his letter. In the verses that we read at the beginning, he was encouraging them to think about that to think about eternity, to think about the time where they'll be clothed with the imperishable, to think about the time where they'll be clothed with eternity, to be mindful of it, to be motivated by it, to learn about eternity because he knew that eternity would shape and affect everything about them. Now, growing up, I would be wary of talk like this. Because growing up around church, I'd heard people say, uh, well, that person is too heavenly minded for any earthly good. Too heavenly minded for any earthly good. And it was almost this warning of like, don't, don't have your head up in the clouds. Don't be thinking too much about heaven because you'll forget um, what's happening right now. You'll forget what's going on in front of us. And I totally, I totally get that. I understand the concept However, in, in my experience so far, I found that perhaps more often we can be guilty of being too earthly minded for any earthly good. Like how often do we just focus on what is around us right now? How often do we get caught up in our jobs, caught up in our routine, caught up in the busyness of life that we forget that there is this eternity beyond us, that right now we are eternal. Right now we have this eternal destiny before us and the people around us have the same. And how often can we forget that and just live focused on today, live focused on what we see right now? Um, In his book, Mere Christianity, which Nath mentioned last week, um, C.S. Lewis says this, um, and I've put it up on the screen. It's it's a bit wordy, but it just describes the power of being heavenly minded. And it says this, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set foot on the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. What a challenge. And I wonder, I want to encourage you to think about how how often are you aware of eternity? How often would you consider it in your day, in your week? How mindful would you be of this heavenly home that we have before us? And today I just want to encourage you to be a bit more heavenly minded so that we can be a bit more earthly good. To be more heavenly minded for earthly good because how you view eternity will shape your identity. It will shape your actions. It will shape your decisions. It will shape your passion, your motivation, your serving. It will shape yourself and your success. See, without eternity, self, 
is paramount, but with eternity, serving is paramount. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where you were maybe starting to get a little bit uh, too arrogant, a little bit too cocky perhaps, and then something or someone brought you back down to earth with a crash. Uh, maybe you were just trying to get like a little bit uh, too much of a big idea of yourself and something happened to change that. Um, for me, I a couple of years ago was going to uh, an event with Joy who leads our worship here, leads our youth band. And this event was held at uh, Hillsong Campus in London, in Bermondsey. And this campus is held in a warehouse and it is, it is very, very cool. It has exposed brick on the walls, moody lighting, vintage leather sofas, fancy foliage and such. And like the atmosphere was cool, let alone the people that were entering this event. So I got out of the car and I said to Joy, right, Joy, we, we need to up our game today, okay? Like we need to blend in, lose the Gloucester accent, that's not gonna do us any favors today. Right, we need to blend, we need to be super cool today. And no sooner were the words out of my mouth as we were walking into this building surrounded by these cool people that I tripped and sprawled forwards, much to the amusement of joy beside me. Um, but those moments are really healthy for us, I think. Those moments when we uh, get knocked down a peg or two, when we realize actually the world does not revolve around me. I am not that important. There are bigger things happening right now. And eternity is the biggest antidote to ego. Yeah. To realize how small, how brief life actually is, is the biggest antidote to any kind of self. And the Bible paints this really uh, challenging picture of the brevity of life, the shortness, briefness of life. It describes life as a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It describes life as a breath, a fleeting shadow, grass that withers, flowers that fall, smoke, a mere handbreadth. And what an amazing reminder that life is short. <laughs> that these 70, 80, 90, 100 years in the face of eternity are a breath, a fleeting shadow. And when we realize that, the more that we realize the extent of eternity and our speck of existence within it, I think the more we start to turn from being self-focused to serving-focused. And Jesus is a beautiful example of this because there's a story of when he was gathered with his disciples and it says this about him. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. And Jesus, in light of where he had come from and where he was headed, got down and started to serve. 
He didn't start to talk about himself, which he had every single right to do, but he started to serve, he started to love, he started to uh, encourage those around him, to invest in those around him. And if Jesus, who had knew he had all power and authority, knew where he was going, was able to serve as a response to that, how much more should we, with a realization of where we are headed for eternity, how much more should we live to serve those around us, live to not focus on ourselves but to give and love and work for the good of those around us when we grasp how small our life is yet how loved we are by God it has to result in living beyond ourselves in living beyond being self-centered to being serving centered It's no longer about what I can gain, what I can achieve, what I can accomplish. It's no longer me, myself, and I, but me, myself, and I am. What he can do through me, what he can do with me, how he can use the gifts that he has given me to be able to shape the world around me. Our view of eternity shapes how we see ourselves and shapes how we see success. Because without eternity, success is merely material, but with eternity, success is spiritual. A few chapters before the letter that we've read is our key passage. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he refers to the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games. And now these games at the time were held one year before the Olympic Games and one year after the Olympic Games. And they were more popular than the World Cup right now. They were more popular than the Olympic Games are to us right now. These games were a huge deal. And they involved wrestling, boxing, MMA, plus poetry competitions, which is slightly random. Um, Very eclectic. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, who would have known all about these games, and he refers to them in an encouragement about eternity. And Paul says this, when referring to these games, he says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And here, Paul was redefining what success looks like. Because he was saying, if these athletes train for days and weeks and years they beat their body into submission they go on special diets they give themselves to this goal they aim for it with everything they've got and they run with all that is within them and at the end they get awarded with a little pine wreath how much more should we run with purpose knowing that our prize is not temporary it's not material but it is eternal the prize that we are running for is not temporary and church there is an enemy who would love for you to get fixated on the temporary to get fixated on the race that is about your career on running for your job on running for your family on running for your department even in church 
church. He will get you fixated on running for what is material, running for what is temporary, when we should be running for what is eternal. Running with what is eternally significant. That is the prize that we have got in front of us. So let us not run for our own success, but let us run for the prize of eternity. Run for the prize in a way that we take as many people with us as we possibly can so that they can claim that prize as well. To run for the lost, to run for the hurting, to run for the broken, to run for our city, to run for our families, for our friends, to run for this nation let us run with purpose knowing that our success is not found in anything that we can see right now but as we run we run with eternal significance storing up treasure in heaven and so this week whatever you go in to do let me encourage you to run at it like it has eternal significance. As you head into work tomorrow, to recognize that your actions have eternal significance. As you serve on kids Tuesday night, to recognize that the conversations that you have with those kids have eternal significance. That whatever you do at school, with your family, with work, it has eternal significance, eternal power, eternal purpose and consequence. And so my challenge is simple, to encourage you this week to be a little bit more heavenly minded, to run with purpose in every step, knowing that you run for this eternal prize. And there's a really nice practical way that you can do this this week. And it's just to start every day this week with a prayer. And you can find this prayer in Psalm 90, verse 12. And it says this, Teach us to realize the brevity, the shortness, the briefness of life, so that we may grow in wisdom. And this week you can make that personal. God, teach me to recognize the brevity of life so that I may grow in wisdom today. As you head into work, as you head into school, as you head into your family situation, God, teach me to recognize that this moment is short, that my life may only be brief, but God, it has eternal significance. So let my actions, let my words be weighted today with the eternal. And let it shape you, shape your identity, shape your confidence and your motivation. Because your view of eternity shapes your identity. And even if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian here, like let me encourage you to pray that prayer this week and just see what happens. Just for the fun of it, perhaps. God, teach me to recognize how short life is and give me some wisdom today and see what he will do, how he will come and meet you. And I want to finish in a minute, but first, I wanted just to give people an opportunity to meet Jesus. Because it may be that you all know where you're going in the life after this. It may be that you, you're confident of your eternity, or it may be that you've never even thought about it. 
but hearing about this hope that we have, this home that we have in heaven, there is something in you that wants that. Then all I want to do today is just pray for you. And I'm going to count to three and you can pop your hand up. So as we pray, can we just close our eyes or bow our heads this morning? And if you're here and you say, yes, I want that. I want to be confident of where I'm going after this life. I want to be confident that my life has eternal significance. And all I want to do is pray. So on the count of three, pop your hand up so I know who I'm praying for. You can put it back down. Ready? One, two, three. We see you. We see you. We see you. Beautiful. Come on, anybody else this morning? We see you. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus, that you bridged the gap between life and death. And when we confess that you rose from the dead, when we believe in you as a son of God, you transfer us from death to life. And we thank you right now for every hand that has been raised, for every heart that says yes to you, that you have transferred them into eternity. God, that you have clothed them with eternal life right now and they are changed forevermore. In Jesus' name, can we just congratulate the people that have made that decision? Come on, it says the heaven celebrates when somebody makes that decision. And if you've done that today, if you popped your hand up, then we'd love to just give you a gift to be able to mark the occasion and also to help you in any way that we can. So you can head to the lounge at the back at the end. Church, can you stand with me and I'll just pray for us. We'll finish by singing this song together. God, teach me the brevity of life. Father God, I thank you for what you have done in this place this morning. I thank you that even now, God, our decisions have eternal significance. Even now as we respond, even now as we worship, God, it has eternal power, eternal consequence, eternal purpose. And God, I pray that as we go into this week, that we would recognize that we are imbued with eternal significance in our actions, our decisions, our serving. And God, I pray that this week, that we would make an eternal difference in the name of Jesus. You can say amen. Come on, let's respond by singing together this morning. Death could not hold you. Come on, church.